He is an investigator for the Attorney General's Office. Part of that, he was a long-term sheriff's deputy specializing in homicide investigation. He's here to talk about investigating homicides and the tragic line-of-duty death of one of his co-workers. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. Connecting with us from Georgia, we have John Gossard on the phone. John is a retired Clayton County, Georgia police officer. He is also a retired criminal investigator for the district attorney's office and still working in law enforcement in some occupation I can't even keep track of. John... Before you tell people what that is, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Now, what is it you're doing now? Sure. Uh, currently, I'm the chief investigator for the uh, Judicial Qualifications Commission for the state of Georgia. Awesome. So we, to put it real bluntly, we investigate judges. Investigate judges, man. You're you're one of my favorite people. Right away, I can tell you that right now. And and by the I, way, I usually get one of one or two responses. I people either love me or hate me. Well, the other one is if you investigate uh, attorneys, you'd really be up there. And by the way, most judges are attorneys, so I appreciate it very much. We're going to talk about your career. You specialize in in homicide investigation, violent crimes, and you had the extreme misfortune, like many in law enforcement, a colleague, a fellow officer that was killed in line of duty and we're going to talk about those impact on you before we do that let's talk a little bit about your career bird's eye view from start to finish sure um i got into law enforcement in 2009 went through the uh, clayton regional academy november 2009 it was a 10-week academy graduated from there uh actually the week of thanksgiving so i think the first day after graduation i had off because we graduated on a wednesday night and Thanksgiving was Thursday. Uh, started with my field training officer, and he had Friday and Saturdays off. So really, it was the best job in the world. I graduated and right away got three days off. I didn't think you'd get any better than that. Yeah. Um, and by the way, getting Thanksgiving <laughs> off as soon as you get out of the academy—that really is a stroke of luck. Isn't that something? Uh, they just said because that was the cleanup day. Uh, really, they brought the new graduates in to clean up all the mess we had made. So they just gave us the holiday off. And like I said, my FTO had Friday and Saturday, so I didn't start until Sunday. Now you came from but, a law um, enforcement background, right? I did. Um, my father and my uncle uh, were both military police officers in the U.S. Army, and my grandfather was the chief of police in the, the small town where my parents grew up in, in northeastern Pennsylvania. I was going to say, you don't sound like you have a Georgia accent. No, no, I don't. I'm 
Boyd Paul is commonly referred to as a Yankee. I'm one of those that came south and stayed. Um, I, I never went back. I've been here for about 20 years now. I'd say it's long enough. You might as well consider yourself a native. Even though you don't talk like you're from there, you are from there. Well, my wife and I have done our best to contribute to the population growth. We've got two daughters. Uh, one of them was born here, so 25% of my immediate family is a purebred Southerner. So you got into law enforcement because it was a family tradition, uh, to quote the song, correct? It, it was one of the factors, uh, definitely for sure. Um, it it was one of the things I'd always wanted to do. It was not my first career uh, following um, my, when I graduated college, um, but it was one of those times that I found myself in need of a job and was at the point in my life that I could actually take a job that I wanted as opposed to one that I needed. And Clayton County PD was the first one that came knocking when I went looking for a job. What were you doing before becoming a police officer and after graduating from college? Sure. Um, after I graduated from college, I uh, entered the management training program with a car. Um, so I was one of those guys that, you know, we'd come and pick you up. I had the clipboard and everything. Uh, was in management with them for about five years. Uh, met my wife, Amanda, while we were both working. We got married. Uh, it was right around the time that our first daughter was born that I had moved into the corporate side of the business. And it was that wasn't very conducive to family life. You know, that sounds funny. You know, then I ended up in law enforcement after that. Um, and we'll talk about that a little yeah, bit later. I got I to gotta <laughs> ask you this question. If corporate world was not family conducive, what made you think being a police officer, working shift work, having rotating hol- days off, holidays working, all that stuff, the trauma, the stress, would be more family conducive? That doesn't make sense. Well, there was a small stop in between. Um, I actually went and entered the financial world. Um, I looked at the bank that I was dealing with as a, on a personal level and thought, you know what, this place is something from nine to three this has got to be the best job in the world. I'm working six hours a day. These guys are all wearing great clothes and they're always happy. I'm, I need to work here. So I entered financial sales and did that for about five to seven years. That's what actually moved us from Pennsylvania to Georgia. Uh, and then 2008 hit. And if everyone remembers how the yeah. financial world kind of went topsy-turvy at that point, um, all the good things that were coming that we had built up for all those times came really crashing down, but it was a, it was a soft landing uh, when when I was able to leave the financial side. So with that severance package that I had, I was that's how I ended up transitioning into the law enforcement world at the age of 36. I was the second oldest uh, cadet in my academy class. I was going to say you must have been older when you got in there. Did they have nicknames for you like Grandpa or Pops or you know? Yeah, Dad? banker. Banker. It was banker. It was <laughs> the minute they found out that that's where I came from. I got packed with banker, and um, they always told me, from the instructors on down, the day I walked through the door of the academy, I was going to be a detective. They thought I was going to be the ones. I was going to be the guy out catching the white collar criminal. Right. Well, it, 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 the way form, I'm kind of surprised that you didn't go federal because, and I'm not an expert, but especially FBI, a lot of what they're looking for is people with law enforcement experience financial experience and college graduates. So if you're not a lawyer, not an accountant, that's what they're looking for. Was that an option for you? It absolutely was, but they're also looking for you to start doing that before you turn 37 because the federal government has that mandatory retirement age of 57 for law enforcement. 
Gotcha. And I was four four months away from my thirty seventh birthday when I needed a job. Well, I guess it, 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 it wasn't in the cards. In a way, that's a smart call. Uh, so many decisions went into this. Here's what I like about your your story so far. That's interesting. You know, I came from a, a non police family. My dad was career navy. I thought I wanted to be a priest. I thought I had that vocation for a long time through high school. Decided that was not my calling in life. But immediately, I wanted to be a police officer, uh, doing the, the public service thing. And I remember talking to my dad. He's like, okay, you don't be a priest anymore. What do you want to do? And I told him, I said, Dad, I want to be a cop. I was like 17. He's like, what? What are you talking about? Did you have that conversation with your family? Like, I'm leaving corporate America behind, and I want to go into law enforcement. Actually, I had the, the talk with, I always wanted to be a cop um, from the moment I think I got into high school. Um, I either wanted to be a lawyer or a cop. I tried law school for about six weeks. That didn't measure up with me because I, quite honestly, at the age of 22 and just graduated college, I, did, I was tired of being a student. I was mm-hmm. tired of people telling me what to do. I, I just So I dropped out of law school, came home and told my parents, you know what? I want to be a cop. And my dad was pretty supportive of it. My mother was the one who actually hit the roof. Um, She is the one whose father was the chief of police. Her uncle took over as the chief of police when her father died. My father was a career military officer. She knew what that was going to do to my family. And although I'm six foot two, 230, and my mother is five foot five if she stretches, and, but she is pure 100% Italian temper, and oh, she gotcha. has laid it on the line. Enough said. said. Nope, did, this is the Law Enforcement Today paper. Show. <laughs> We're talking with John Gossert. We've got so much more to talk about. His law enforcement career, working homicides, the line of duty death, killing of one of his colleagues, and more. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter, and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. There was social media, and then there was social audio. Now the Breakout app combines the best of both. Best of all, the Breakout app is free with versions for iPhone and Android devices. You can download the app for free at the App Store and Google Play, or you can download for free at www.letbreak.com. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Return our conversation with John Gossert. John is a retired Clayton County, Georgia police officer. He is also retired criminal investigation division detective for the state attorney's office. And he's working in the capacity where he investigates judges right now for the state of Georgia. John, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for telling your story. And I, I love how... You talked about your mom, you're having the Italian temperament, and she kind of hit the roof when you said you want to go into law enforcement. So uh, I, I can only imagine her conversation, and she saw how it disrupted her family life. So she was not unaware. She knew. And I, did, did she know the impact that the trauma you would face would have on you? I don't think that was it. Um, we, we grew up in a very, very small town in northeastern Pennsylvania, and plus, you know, we did not 
experience a lot of the the violence that you're going to see in major cities, specifically right. like I see on the south side of Atlanta here. Um, it was more or less the, the family dynamic. Uh, my father missed a lot of my upbringing. He, he missed a lot of my sisters, my younger sister stuff. And that was really, I think, where she was coming from. That and the fact that I think she was still a little sore that I dropped out of law school. She uh, really taken to bragging to her friends that she had a she had a son that was going to be a lawyer. Yeah. And I, I think that took me a little bit of time to overcome that sort of disappointment with her. So you went to the academy. You got Thanksgiving off, which is amazing. And then you hit the street in, in patrol. And for those who don't know, what exactly is patrol? Everybody describes it a little bit different. Sure. Um, really, what it came down to me, uh, we had a one-year probationary period. And you know, you're just a uniform cop that you see every day. Uh, we rode single-man units when I was sent loose from, from FTO. Um, Clayton County is the county just south of Atlanta. Actually, the Atlanta airport is within Clayton County. It's just patrolled by Atlanta PD. So it's the, I want to say it's the 10th most densely populated county in the state of Georgia, but it's probably one of the smallest landmass counties in Georgia. So we're basically responding to any call for service from, gosh, you know, my kid didn't come home from, because I worked the evening watch. That was the 2P to 10P. Um, shift. So they would get the call. My kid didn't come home from school. Our dog got out. We can't find him to, hey, I came home and grandma's not breathing. So we, we were the first responder for every call that came into service in that eight-hour shift. The thing I love about patrol is when, when you think of policing in America, that's the ones you see all the time. They're, they, they handle everything from soup to nuts. They're the first ones on scene. And when you have, for example, in Baltimore, when we had murders, which we had quite a lot of, it was patrol officer first, and they're the ones who protected the crime scene. Those are the ones who protected evidence, made the notifications. It wasn't like you just showed up and did nothing. You were handling everything. Correct, and that's you know that's your first line of education as a police as a career police officer. A lot of it is on the job training. You will show up, and you're going to learn what not to do really, really quickly because there's going to be three guys right saying, "You know what." I wouldn't do that if I were you, and right. here's, here's why the sergeant's going to be mad at you. Exactly. So we learned very, very quickly. We had people call us up when we were wrong, when we made mistakes, and that's how I learned. I always say this. I was very lucky. Uh, when I started as a rookie, we had a lot of combat Vietnam veterans who were police that, that trained me. We also had a few of the command staff that were Korean War veterans, and when they told you you messed up, they didn't mess around. They came right to the point. Uh, and one of the basic things that we learned from day one was respect everyone. Treat them with respect until they change the tone of the conversation. Uh, and uh, you and I could have a long conversation about where policing changed along the lines. I have my theories. I'm sure yours do, you do, too. But you had a good career in patrol, and then you started gravitating towards uh, CID, being a detective, working homicides. Tell us about that transition. Sure. It's... Yeah, it's a, it's a funny story. Um, I was pumping gas at the end of shift one night, and I saw one of our officers, I knew he had to be a member of the command staff, showing up to pump his gas, and he couldn't figure out exactly how to work the pump. I'm sitting there writing my last, writing my last report, and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, here comes some major that I've only been a cop for a year now. I've never met everybody that's on the command staff. He doesn't know how to pump his own gas, being out here at 10 o'clock at night. So he waves me over from my... Mark unit and asked me how to 
work the gas pump. I said, right, sir, let me show you how to do it. You got input your employment here. And he looks at me and he goes, you have no idea who I am, do you? I took a look at his shirt, the name stenciled over over on the breast pocket. And I said, oh, you know what, Chief? We've never met. Congratulations on your appointment. It was the newly appointed Chief of Police. Wow. Um, he was out seeing what the guys were doing. Um, I think he had been in the job for about a week. So we got to talking at that point, and that's when he told me. He asked me what I wanted to do with the rest of my career. I said, well, I kind of like what I'm doing right now, but eventually I really would like to become a detective. About a week later, I get a call um, from his secretary saying, Chief would like you to come up and have a talk with him. And that's how it really came down to. So the long, the long running joke in CID, once I got there was, I got my shield pumping the chief's gas, which is only half right. I just showed him. I didn't pump it for him. I just showed him. How to yeah, Ollie just, I just showed him. That's great. By the way, he's the banker that pumped the chief's gas, and that's how he got to where he was. Look, I, I've heard worse uh, about how people got their <laughs> positions. And so you got in there, and we started doing a lot of homicide investigation. And I, I tell people this all the time. My wife and I, we rarely ever watch American-produced police content because one of the things like these documentaries of well they didn't care about the victim because the lifestyle they lived and that goes contrary to every homicide detective i ever worked with every homicide scene we're ever on they always treated it like they were the most important because they were the victim and they're the last voice of the victim in your experience was there any truth to do that portrayal that homicide detectives just don't care Oh, absolutely not. No, um, we wouldn't do the job that we that we had if we didn't care. Um, I'll be honest with you. It's not that you actually have a, a legitimate physical conversation with the victim, but that victim is going to talk to you. That victim is your best piece of evidence. They are the ones who are going to tell you, this is what happened, or I'm going to at least lead you in the right direction. And you've got to, you have to care. You can't be that cold and calloused and just not care. So, no, I, I disagree with that entirely. Um, homicide detectives, they might not be the most, you know, gentle people that you'll come across. But you're never going to find anyone that you're never going to find anyone that cares less about the cop than they do. And uh, everybody I know that's been a cop, and uh, particularly homicide detectives, the, 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 I'm going to pose this as a question. They'll say, I'm not haunted by the cases I solved. I'm haunted by the ones I cannot solve. I can see where that phrase might come from, but I'm going to respectfully disagree. I'm, I'm still haunted by the ones that I did solve, just, I guess, based on what I've seen and the circumstances that brought me there. Yeah. Let's put it that way. I'll, I'll say this, too. I agree with you 100%. It, it, the funny thing is, it is old saying about my, my mind can't forget what my eyes have seen. I'm reminded of things that it come to the forefront of my mind, and it's not just a memory thing. It's a physiological thing at the least the least appropriate time when i least expect it that's when it comes up and even though i've been retired all these years uh, i still very much am uh, mentally dinged up by what i went through in police work this is law enforcement today's show we'll return to our conversation with john gossard in just a few moments don't go anywhere it's gonna get really good we'll be right back miss an episode of law enforcement today you don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo. The free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there too. 
Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Return conversation with John Gossard on the Law Enforcement Today Show. John is a retired Clayton County, Georgia police officer. Worked homicide for a long time. He's also a retired investigator for District Attorney's Office. And he currently investigates judges for an organization or agency in the state of Georgia. John, in your homicide career, I could tell you times that, that ring a bell. Most of them. I've gotten really good at forgetting the names of a lot of people. There's a few that, that come to mind that I don't think I ever forget. During your career investigating homicides, is there one that stands out for whatever reason that, that people just don't get? The one that's always to stand out to me, and you know, this is the one that I'm, I think I'll most likely remember till the day I die, is is the first homicide that I was assigned. Um, it was a few months after I got to the CID. And unfortunately, it, it was it was a child death. Um, it was a we had a hot car death um, outside of a daycare center in in Clayton County, and I can I don't even need to close my eyes. I can still see you know Jasmine Green's body laying on that table at Southern Regional Medical Center. Um, she had been left in a car in a van by the daycare worker after returning from a field trip to uh, in Fayette County. She had been in that van for three hours in in July. If I, it was either it was summer, it was either July or August of 2011. We reconstructed the scene. Um, the temperature was above 93 that day, and she she was belted into that seat and stayed in that van the hottest time of the day for three hours. And you know, not only was it the first. Um, homicide that I was assigned. It was the first time I had to tell parents that their child was dead. Oh. You know, and, and that's that's the one that gets you when you're a young father. At that time, I think it, at, it, in 2011, my kids were 10 and six, and this child is not much younger than my youngest daughter at the point. At that point, the death notifications are horrible. I don't know of a way to, to probably describe doing death notifications. And I did a couple as a young police officer. And the way it worked in Baltimore, the dispatcher would call you, say, hey, call me. And we'd say, go to this address, find Mr. Brown, let them know their son, John Brown, was killed in a car accident in Ohio. And I'm, I'm 22. I'm knocking on people's door at 3 o'clock in the morning. And they open the door. The reaction you get when you tell them, is, is horrifying because you never know what it's going to be. Sometimes they're violent. It's all. Sometimes they're very calm. I, I don't envy anybody has to make death notifications. And I think a lot of people don't realize our homicide detectives do that all the time. Correct. And this one was especially hard. And I said, this was at about four o'clock in the afternoon. These parents had just dropped off their vibrant, healthy, happy three-year-old and her four-year-old brother at the daycare center that they trusted for years this girl and what really gets me still to this day 11 years later is this girl had a brother that was seat belted next to her he lived and she died that 
that boy has to live with that for the rest of his life that he lived and his daughter and his sister died not next to him, but she was seated next to him. And that's what was going through my head that day to this day. Every day I think about where that boy is right now. He would be about, he should be probably 15 if my math is correct, but I don't know what he's going through and it's got to be gut-wrenchingly horrible for him. That's one of those things I, I remember clearly being a young police officer and I was really distraught about something. I don't know what it was. And an old timer said to me, he goes, don't try to make sense out of things that don't make sense at all. You'll drive yourself insane. And sometimes the randomness of, of life and death is more than I can handle, especially when it's involving children. You know, that's so hard for cops to deal with. And not only it didn't end there. I mean, I think the, the worst experience I had in my entire law enforcement career, if not worse, top three, it was attending the autopsy the next day. If I mean, I've attended thousands of autopsies in my career. I've only ever done one child autopsy, and I don't ever want to see that again. It's it's so horrible, and it, like you said, there are just there are things I wish that my mind could unsee. Yeah, and that's one of them. And I'll be honest, I wish there was something I could tell you to make it better, but I know there's no magic band aid. I'm not Superman. I'm not God. I, I can't make things like that all right. It's, I mean, I, I, we can talk about it in a little bit. I think we'll get there, but found a way to move past for a long time. It, it just, it was a stumbling block. It was a thorn in my side and it not only affected me, it affected the people around me, the, the ones I cared the most yeah. about. And it was something that I had to learn to deal with. That, that's and, something. You know, thank God I did. It's something that those closest to us have to deal with. And without going into great lengths of my story, that's what ruined my first marriage and a big part of it. Uh, secondly, I, my wife and I were watching TV the other day. And uh, someone said, if you don't resolve past trauma, you're, you're going to pay for it. And I'm think, I look at her and I said, what is, what is resolve trauma? I only know one of two things. I find a way to accept it that it happened and I move on and I accept the consequences or I don't. And if I don't, those closest to me pay the price. You're absolutely right. And, you know, when you made mention, you know, that had something to do with, uh, you know, the downfall of your first marriage, I was, uh, this started the road for us. Um, we were on, my wife and I were on that path, and I can trace it back to, there were concerns and issues, but, you know, this is really where the pedal went down to the floor was when Jasmine was, when Jasmine was killed. This was really, really where my life started to spiral. And I want to go into something that's equally as disturbing as you had a, a colleague, a, a co-worker that died in the line of duty. Are you able to talk about that? Sure, because that's kind of where the, the train went off the track entirely. So um, Jasmine died in the summer of 2011, uh, December 17th, 2012. Uh, I'm on my way into work. And, you know, as a detective, you have a take-home car. It was one of those, one of the benefits that the county gave to us, of which I was very, very appreciative, except for this day, because as I'm running in, of course, I don't listen to the music. I'm buried myself in my work, so I'm looking for something to do even before my shift starts. So I'm listening to the radio, and that's when the world goes crazy. Uh, it was a little after 2 o'clock when there was a, a shooting. They call it a uh, signal 63 in our parlance is basically everybody in the county drops whatever you're doing and you head right to this situation we had a, 
officer involved shooting and there was an officer down at this point. Um, had no idea who it was. It didn't matter. You just go to it. Long story short, uh, there was an incident at one of the motels in Clayton County that uh, husband and wife needed to be put out of the room. They weren't paying. They weren't going to leave. Motel calls the police. Two rookie officers show up. They get to fighting because guy needs to go to jail. He ends, I think he had a warrant out for his arrest at the point when they made contact. With him. He was around the building. Um, they're on a narrow pathway when our officers turn the corner. And as they turn that corner, you know, bad guys standing there in the, the TJ Hooker stance with a, with a 45 and shoots Sean Callahan in the head. Sean falls off the ledge. His backup officer, um, Officer Waymondo Brown, and Way, Way became a really good friend of mine after this incident, um, fires back and shoots the bad guy right there, renders aid to Sean. Sean holds on for about a day, but tragically passes away the next morning. Um, he had been with us. He had been on the job for about four months uh, when he was shot and killed. I show up at the scene. I showed up at the scene in a short amount of time, enough time. Sean had been taken by ambulance, but the bad guy was still on scene. Um, but he was, I mean, he had, he died right where he laid. So he's there. Uh, the wife was taken into custody. It was my job to transport her back to headquarters and start the interview process with her. That was gut-wrenching. I'll bet. We're going to take a short break. We are talking with John Gossard on the Law Enforcement Today show. When we return, we're going to talk more about the line of duty murder of his colleague, its impact on him, and what he does today. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T radio show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Return our conversation with John Gossard. John is a retired Clayton County, Georgia police officer, also retired investigator for the state's attorney general's office, and he works in an investigation agency that investigates judges in the state of Georgia. For winter break, John, you're talking about the line of duty death, the, the murder of a young police officer, and it was at a hotel in Clayton County, Georgia, and you took the wife of the suspect to be interrogated. Tell us what happened then. Yes, sir. Well, she was actually, at that point, she was under arrest for battery upon a police officer because she resisted arrest just based on what was happening there. She was going to be detained. She kicked one of the responding sheriff's deputies in the chest. So that was my charge on her at that point. Um, Interrogated her. Turned out that she was a convicted felon. Uh, We executed a search warrant on the room that they were both staying at found that there were multiple weapons, multiple IEDs, for lack of a better term. Really what they had made were rockets with knives attached to them so that if any 
one had come through the door, they would set these rockets off. They were improvised flares, and they would shoot across the room. It was basically a flying knife. Um, these, these people were not friendly to law enforcement, and they knew they were going to go back to prison if they were, if they were found. So that's where really I came in. We got her charged with a couple of different things. And then as our investigation unfolded, we ended up charging her with murder uh, because in Georgia, we've got a, a party to a crime statute that if you take a step, a substantial step into the commission of a crime, you may not have to be the one that ended up pulling the trigger, but you can be charged for that murder. And that's what we ended up doing. Uh, we ended up indicting Lisa Levis for the murder of Sean Callahan. And, you know, it was part of my, it was part of my great honor to be able to be recruited to the district attorney's office from Clayton County PD. And I actually helped assist with that trial, the preparation trial and the ultimate conviction. We ended up convicting this woman for the murder of officer Callahan. And she's currently serving a a life without parole sentence. It would be so easy to say right now, justice was served. I, I used to think that. I don't think that anymore. Um, there's no resolution. Because you're going to tell what happened, We you said, in your personal life. You began to go off the rails. And things like guilty convictions are great, job well done, but they don't repair the damage. They don't bring people back to life. And they certainly don't repair what happened to you. How badly were you affected by not just this, but everything you've been through? Well, and here's the thing. I'm, the dates stick out in your head. I don't need to tell you that because I'm sure you've got dates that just mm-hmm. won't go away. They're burned in your memory. Um, I call Sean them anniversaries, and they're not, they're not pleasant anniversaries either. No, sir. So he was shot on December 17th. I didn't come home until early in the morning on the 18th. And the first thing I see when I pull in my driveway is my beautiful house that my wife has decorated for Christmas. My wife every year takes great joy in being able to put lights up and just, and I was so sickened and disgusted by how happy we're putting off to the world that we are. And I'm, I'm breaking down inside. I, and so for, that was what I always associated with Sean's death for about eight years was those Christmas lights and the happiness of the season. So you can imagine what that's like for my two kids and my wife and everyone around me when Christmas is supposed to be one of those most joyous times of year. And I'm beginning to mope and just be withdrawn and not talkative starting right around, you know, maybe the middle of November. I just was not someone to be dealt with until actually March. It, It was just a horrible season for me. And like I said, that went on for roughly eight years up until the time that, my, our oldest daughter was a, uh, a high school cross-country runner, and she had made friends through cross-country with a girl named Anna Kendrick, uh, who ran cross-country down in Columbus, Georgia, and they would compete against each other. And they were always battling for the you know top podium positions between the two of them. Well, Anna Kendrick's father is Alex Kendrick. Um, part of the Kendrick brothers who make these Christian themed movies. I don't know if you've ever seen Facing the Giants and things like that. Well, we became, you know, not great friends. We didn't go out to dinner with the Kendricks, but they knew who we were just based off of our kids and um, their friendship. So fast forward a few years, um, we get a phone call from uh, the cross country coach 
where Anna goes to school, and he tells us that Alex is making a cross-country movie, and he would like for all of us to be extras in the movie, and he's got a special role for our daughter. So for five days, we get to go down, we get to be extras in this movie called Overcomer, which you know, was a phenomenal experience. Well, during that time, I've you know happened to share a little bit of this story with Alex, and he told me that they had a, a chaplain, an ar- a retired army chaplain that was delivering the devotion uh, to the crew that day. And I should really check out what he had to say. He might have some ability to help me with this. And this is a guy named Jeff Struker. Uh, Jeff's a pastor in Columbus, Georgia, uh, where a lot of people might recognize the name from. He was actually one of the um, army rangers in Mogadishu during Black Hawk Down. He was one of the characters in the movie. Um, when he got out of the army, uh, was able to, I'm sorry, he continued in the army as a chaplain. And once he retired, he became a, a pastor. Put me in contact with Jeff, and I just, you know, I was looking for the Band-Aid. I was looking for the quick fix. And Jeff asked if, you know, he asked a few questions and then started walking down my, my faith line. And that was really when it came, I came to realize that this is not something that I can handle on my own, that I needed to turn over and I needed to let God handle this. Yeah. And Jeff asked if he could pray for me at that time. I was hoping, not hoping, I was expecting Jeff to say something along the lines of, you know, God, you know, Heal John. Yeah, I thought that was going to be great. The prayer actually went, you know, he asked for God to keep me from situations that stuff like that would happen to me again. And I had never thought about it that way. I'd always thought, I have all this bad stuff. I've got to fix the bad stuff. I never thought about what was going to happen tomorrow. I never thought, and that gave me such a degree of peace that I was able to realize through walking along this way that the reason that these things happened to others and not me was it's not my time. It was not meant for me to be, but what was meant for me to be was to help others get through these processes and these times. And that's what I've tried to, to dedicate my life to doing with the younger guys is helping them understand you're going to have these bad times. Yeah. I'm not telling you the way that I got through it is the only way, but here is a way. Let me tell you what God has done for me. And I'm hoping that might be, if I could help one person, because quite honestly, I was on the edge when Jeff called. It was one of those days I was actually home for lunch. And, you know, every day when you're, you're wearing a gun on your hip, you've, it's, it's not, a, it's, it's not a difficult, it's not it's a, a difficult really short to trip can, to, to end it. It's, it's yeah. such a short journey. And I know so many people have been there. I know so many people like you. Uh, and, and without going into detail about my story, it was a very, very short trip. And for those who do not have a spiritual or religious or God, higher power, or something that they can rely on, I think they're in for a really long journey that's a lot tougher. I'll be honest with you. Yes, sir. I couldn't agree more. And like I said, this is what worked for me. This is the truth that I know. And I'm more than happy to explain it and show anyone who wants to hear what I'll tell them. That's what I'm hoping I can do from this point forward is just share a little bit of this story. Well, the other thing about this, John, is it also puts a point to to the pain you've been through. Uh, It it creates a mission for you. And I, I applaud you for doing this and for telling your story and being, I hate this term, vulnerable enough to open up because so many of us in law enforcement, we're trained not to. We're trained not to even react 
we either have tremendous humor, great moods, or really bad moods. There's not a whole lot in between. So the you saying, I this is what I went through, this is how I got better, this is what I want to do to help you. So now the next part of the equation is how do people get in touch with you? How do they find out? How do they reach sure. out to you? I think the best way to find me is um, on LinkedIn. That's my the best social media presence to grab me, and it's just my name, John Gossert. Uh, it's spelled G-O-S-A-R-T. It's not pronounced how it's spelled, or and vice versa. But that is probably the best way for people to connect. And by the way, just to be a nag, you got to work on getting a website, so uh, another social media as well. John, thanks so much for your service, and I really appreciate you meeting us on the Law Enforcement Show uh, and telling your story. It's all very much appreciated. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks very much. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.